Okay, so today is the last day of our series that God really say. Um, and hopefully at the end of it, we'll still have time for a couple of questions and answers. So if you have any questions, um, which I probably won't be able to answer, but you can ask them anyway. And, um, and we want to have communion today as well, because we just want to celebrate the generosity of God in what Jesus came and did for us. Okay, so did God really say be generous? Here's the last one. Did God really say be generous? I want to say yes, he did. And I'll quote you some stuff later on that, that, uh, that should back that up for you, some scriptures you can look at. And you can look at them when you go home and I read them out to you here. But the bit I want to talk about is what did God say to be generous with? Because usually when you have a preacher and he's preaching about being generous, he's after your money. It's called a spade a spade. Right? Churches are famous for looking for your money. Okay? Um, and that's not what this is about, although I'm going to talk about money. But this is not because we want to get your money, and it's not because hope needs your money. So let me just put that one down there as a marker. Okay? Hope has survived nicely for the last nearly 10 years because God has taken care of it, and he'll continue to take care of it. But what God does around money is he invites us into taking part in his kingdom. But money isn't the the main crux of this, so let me get on with a little bit of other things. Be generous with what? What resources do I have available to me, and what resources do you have available to you? And money is not the only resource we have. We have time, we have energy, we have love, we have commitments, and we have money. And you probably have a few other bits and pieces too that I don't have, but they're ones that I know of. The question is, what will you do with them? I know for a fact everyone in this room has time. Everyone has energy. Everyone has some level of commitment in your life to something. Everyone has money, no matter how big or small it is. And everyone has love, because I've seen anyone I know in this room, I've seen you demonstrate that love. And the ones who are here, I'm guessing, you must have a bit of it in you, even if we don't know you. And I want to challenge you today. Actually, I want to dare you. I want to dare you to invest in something eternal. That's what that video was about. For those of you who couldn't read it, it finished off with, all of these things will rust away. All of these things will rot away. But what are we going to put our stuff into that's going to be eternal? I want to dare you to invest into God, into studying his word, into loving people. I want to dare you to pour some, your life into something that's going to last after your death. This is one of them really encouraging messages. Just want to flag that before we start. What's going to last? Let me tell you some of the things that's not going to last. Houses aren't going to last. Cars aren't going to last. Clothes aren't going to last. Holidays, as much as I absolutely love them, are not going to last. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll won't last. It will all end at some stage. Food rots, buildings crumble, and money runs out. Jesus said to us, store up treasures in heaven because the things of this world will not endure. He said in Matthew 6, 21, sorry, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question is, what's our treasure? And where is it? And will it last? 
And I think if you want to know what your treasure is, because if you're sitting there going, I don't really know what my treasure is. Isn't me money over? Here's a couple of questions you can ask yourself. Where do you spend your time? Who and what are you loving? And where do you put your money? That'll show you where your treasure is. Let me take a couple of minutes, just really quickly. We don't have a lot of time. We have 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week. What do we do with them? Eight hours a day, I'm hoping you're sleeping. Or nearly that. That leaves 16 hours a day. What are we doing with them? If you have kids, you might be getting three hours sleep a night, and you have 21 hours a day. That'd be a bit better, yeah? <laughs> what you're doing then is that you're wishing for them with the 21 hours I was sleeping. Yeah? How much of it are you spending on stuff that's going to survive past our death? Will I read the paper or will I read the wood? Will I watch the telly or on Netflix? Or will I give a bit of time and go to a Bible study or serve on a soup run or do something that's going to make a difference? And I'm not, please hear me, I love the telly, I love Netflix, I love reading the paper. I'm not saying these things are bad. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do them. I'm just saying how big is that priority? And where is that going to fit at the end of time? Where do you put your love? Do you put it into things or do you put it into people? I read this quote years ago and it said we should use things and love people and not use people and love things. And what I see in the culture that we're in is our culture is continuously pushing us to love things and use people. That people are disposable. People don't matter. But God, don't let anything happen to your new car. I don't let anything happen to this. I don't let anything happen to that. And you're not really a person if you don't possess this or if you don't have that. Or you're not as good a person as somebody else if you don't have all of this stuff. The culture we live in is going to bombard us to love stuff, not to love people. But God wants us to love people. He wants us to love our kids. He wants us to love our grandkids. He wants us to love our neighbors. And that's the stuff that's going to last after I'm gone. Not whether I loved my car, or I loved the house, or I loved the clothes I had, or I loved the holidays I went on. But the love that I pour into the people around me, that will still be there. I've never once attended a funeral where I've heard someone say, they were great people because they just loved their care. Never once. I've heard loads of times where they're great people because they love the family, poured their life into the community, they did this for the local gag club or whatever. That's the stuff that goes on because that's the piece of you and me that we get to invest in other people's lives. And when we're gone, that piece is still in there. You think, even now, how many people invested into our lives aren't here anymore. But we still carry that investment inside us. If you're a bit older, your ma probably invested into your life. And she's gone, maybe. But you still carry that investment. You still carry that piece of heart. That was the eternal bit. Not that she gave you a dinner. Though that probably helped. But that's not the eternal bit. And then where do you put your money? Proverbs says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. God is no man's there. If you're generous to people who are less fortunate than you, God doesn't forget that. He sees it. And he'll pay you back. He mightn't pay you back financially. He mightn't pay you back in the way that you think. 
but he will pay you back. He will take care of you if you're taking care of others. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 8 said, God doesn't want to coerce generosity. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we were in St. Mark's for years, Gary used to quote that one, and he'd say, God loves a cheerful giver, but I'll take money off a grump. It doesn't matter. I don't care. But here's the reality of it. We don't take up collections in this place, and we don't do it for a couple of reasons. One of them is that we don't want people to use that as a reason or an excuse not to connect with God. We don't want that to be a stumbling block between you and a relationship with Jesus. We want people who do give to give from a generous place, not manipulated because they have a basket shoved under their nose. Or feeling guilty, or God, I better put something in there, even if it's a polo mint because someone's looking at me. See, I've done that thing. <laughs> Washers into the collection plate as I went by because I had to make a rattle. Okay. Been in them places. That is not, I don't believe that's God's way. Well, that's not God's way for this house. That's not what he's called us to. Okay? He called us to, to be people who are generous, to give, abundantly give. He called us to teach, and I'm not great at this, to teach you to give, to give your money. Because I have that Irish thing in me that you don't talk to people about money. And I'm not really good at it. But I want to tell you, if you don't give, you're being robbed of a blessing. And if I don't tell you that, I'm robbing you. And if you don't want to give in here, that's fine. That's not what this is about. But give. Get generous with your life. Get generous with your time. Get generous with your love. Get generous with your money. Because I'll tell you what, you will never have more than when you give. You will never have more. I don't care how broke you are. You will never have more than when you give. God taught us to tithe when we hadn't got a being. We were homeless living on 100 quid a week with two kids, and that was when he put the hammer on us to tithe. Only for Anne's mother, I don't know where we'd have been. We'd have been in a hostel somewhere. And it's like, God, are you having a laugh? We can't even survive on what we've got. But you know what? When we took that step of giving and stopping just looking to us, and you know what the big thing was? Stopping looking to me to be in the provider and the security and actually looking to God to be in the provider and the security. When that happened and I took that step and Anne took that step with me, we started giving. I promise you, and put me hand on my heart, Emma and Paul say, Bible, you call it what you like, I'm not telling you a word of a lie. We have never been in want once. Never. In 28 years. We've been broke. We've had sticky times. But we've never been in want. We were always provided for. Didn't always have what I'd like, but I always had what I needed Always. And then we just got over that, and then it was like, now you should start giving something else. Because there's two, from a church context, there's two ways we talk about giving. Any of you who are visiting today, I don't normally preach about money, so I'm, I'm not sorry you're here. Maybe you were supposed to hear this today. We give tithes, which is that people give 10% or more into a church to, to help with the running of what's happening in it. And then people give offerings. And that can be into a church, or it can be into something that's happening in the community or some charity they know of or 
Those people that are bringing that child from France are guaranteed that's a charity that's doing that. So someone is putting money into that to make it happen. Um, what's her name? A.D. Roach brought in 160 kids the other night from Chernobyl. That's happening because somebody's giving money. Someone's offering money into it, donating money into it. And when we, when we give like that, the first person God told us to do that for, and, and it's funny because I remember specifics when it comes to numbers and money. I'm quite good at it. might be great with names, but I remember cash. Okay? At the time I was bringing home, my take-home pay was 128 euro pounds, punts at the time, a month, a week. I was driving a van, and we were living in the house across the road, and we were renting that off a couple, and we were paying them 50 quid a week for the rent. So that left us. Then we were paying the toys, so that was like, what was that, 12-something or whatever it is, 13 quid over. And that left us only about 50 or 55 quid, and God said, this couple's going to Bible college. You need to start giving them a fiver a week. They were going to England to Bible college, Trish and Andy Nugent. And we were like, you've got to be kidding. Like, I mean, the toys was a stretch. This is going too far. But the funny thing was, we ended up doing it, and then within a certain period of time, it was like, one, we never missed it. But two, things started happening. I got a change in the job. We got an extra couple of bob. It wasn't, and I, don't want it, and I don't want you leaving here with the impression that I'm teaching you give and you're going to get it back. That's not the reason. You don't do it for that. But I know that people who obey God and follow him and give, whether it's their time, their energy, their love, or their money, God never leaves you short. As much love as you can pour out into a human being, God can pour more into you. As much time as you think you don't have to give, when you start giving that into God's kingdom, he multiplies it. And he makes stuff work. And it's the exact same with cash. The exact same. God told us not to take up collections here, to look to him. He said he would provide. And you know he does. And the way he does it is through people. We don't miraculously get a brown envelope in the door every month from heaven to pay the bills. People invest in God's kingdom. And some people invest in this part of God's kingdom. And they do it every week or they do it every month. But they faithfully sow into the eternal. And it's not their leftovers. It's their commitment. It's what they're based on and what they believe in. And they're investing in future treasure. And a lot of times it's been at a personal cost to them. And it's been many times at the expense of something nicer. But it's never been unnoticed by God. And it's recorded in heaven. God is enthusiastic when people get generous. Jesus got excited and enthusiastic when he saw someone's generosity being unleashed. Luke 19 tells the story of a fellow called Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He was, I think he might have even been shorter than me, which is to say he was small. He couldn't see Jesus coming, so he got up a tree. He saw Jesus coming. Jesus said, come down, come into your house. We're going to have dinner in your gaff tonight. And immediately Zacchaeus said, I am going to give, I've been robbing people all these years, I'm going to give away, I can't remember the exact details, but it was a lot of money. If I robbed anyone, I'm going to give them back four times what I took. I'm going to give away half my money to whoever. And here's what Jesus said. Let's celebrate, today salvation has come to this house. How did he know salvation came to that guy's house? Because he got generous. Because an encounter with Jesus changed his life and changed his heart. From being a robber and a miser to being someone who was generous. If we, if we really have an encounter with Jesus and we really get something going between us and him 
and we begin to become more like Jesus every day, we will get more generous every day. Because that's what God is. He's generous. He pours it out into us. Jesus was gen- or enthusiastic about generosity. He was looking, he was in this place, it's in Luke 21. And he looked up and he saw these rich people. Let me read it exactly. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, that poor widow has put in more than all of the rest of them. Because they all put in out of their abundance. And she just put in out of what she had. That was recorded in heaven. Some widow woman who put two pins in a box was recorded in heaven. It was recorded in the Bible. That wasn't a miracle as the way we think about miracles. That wasn't some big, extravagant, multi-million euro project to save the world. That was some widow who walked in there and put two pennies into a box. But God saw her heart. Because the money is only ever an expression of the heart. It's not about the money. It's never about the money. If we believe in the God that we say we believe in, he created this earth. Do you think he needs 20 pounds out of my pocket to keep it rattling on? He provides us with the air, with the water, with the sunshine, with the food. Do you think he needs my 20 quid every week to keep his words going? He lets me in. Because he knows if I don't learn to be generous, then that money can have a hold on me. If I don't learn to be generous with my time, then I can end up really selfish with my time. If I'm not generous with love, I end up really selfish and only loving me. If I'm not generous with my commitment into things of the kingdom and into other people's lives, then I'm wholly and devoted to me. And none of you in this room are like that. Okay, I know that. But I bet you you know somebody whose world revolves just around them and how miserable they are to be around. They're a pain. I could say other things, but I get into trouble for saying bold words. Let me finish with one story from our lives, and then we will have time for questions and answers. In Matthew 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I used to always think that that's it, where your heart was, there your treasure will be, but it's not. It's where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because you know what? Our heart follows our money. Our heart follows our time. Our heart follows our commitment. Because we make a decision what we're going to do with them, and then our heart follows it. <coughs> I've never felt like giving away money in my life. I'm being honest with you. I am generous. I give away lots of money. But I have never felt like it. I have done it because I know it's the right thing to do. Very, very rarely I might have this weird sensation that comes over and says, give money away. Very rarely. Never felt like it. Never woke up in the morning going, you can't wait to give money away today. Doesn't happen. But there's things we do. We were um, in a situation a good while ago, maybe over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, We'd, we'd gone through a period of being broke and we were just kind of getting back on our feet and there's this friend of ours who was in St. Max at the time who was an insurance salesman and he kept saying to me, Brian, have you got life cover? And I was going, no. We hardly had bread for the last couple of years, never mind life cover. And he was going, you need to get life cover. So we did. We, we bought a really cheap life insurance policy so at least if I snuffed it, Anne and the kids would be, they won't say they'd be okay, but they would have been at least able to put me in a hole and move on a little bit for a while. And then once that was kind of settled, he was on me case about a pension. 
And we were in our early 40s at the time. And he was going, Brian, you really need a pension. You need a pension. You need a pension. And, and he was beginning to convince us that we needed a pension. And then we said, can we pray about this for a little bit? And when we were praying, that was the scripture that, that came. Don't invest in things that's going to rust and destroy and all the rest of it, but put your treasure into things eternal. So we decided, we didn't have a lot of money, but it probably would have been 20 or 30 quid a week or whatever we could have put into a pension scheme. We decided we would invest that into things in the church instead. So we started, we picked some ministries, we started supporting things like UCB Radio and other bits and pieces like that instead. And we put our money every month into those. People who were going to Bible college, people who were starting up churches, all that kind of stuff. And not huge money, just a little bit of money. But it was a pension scheme or it was this. It was a pension scheme or it was this. I found out, do you remember the crash in 2008 as if we could ever forget? My pension scheme, if I had have done it, probably would have been worth somewhere between 150 and 200,000 euro going into that crash. Do you know how much it would have been worth after the crash? Zippo. Maybe 20 grand. I would have invested for nearly 20 years to have Anglo-Irish Bank or someone else siphon me money off and have a lovely time of it. But you know what? We didn't. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with pension schemes. And as I get nearer 65, I'm wishing I had one. But I do. It's in heaven. And I don't know how God's going to provide for me, but I know he will. I'm self-employed since I left the prison. You know the story? Well, most of you know the story in the prison. It wasn't a good ending. I left that. I've been self-employed since then. I have never once picked up the phone and asked anyone for a bit of work. I've never advertised. I've never even dropped hints in places. Only last week, Tuesday morning, I was up and I was sitting and I was praying and I was saying to the Lord, because I was looking at me dirty, I was going, someone's looking a bit bleak, Lord, and next year I don't know what I'm going to do. Should I go looking for work? I went out that morning, I had a meeting with somebody, and before I even said anything, they said, are you available next year to do this from September right through to next June? And I was like, God answers prayer. And if you're faithful with him, he'd be faithful with you. I don't know how our pension's going to work out. If we have to live on the old edge pension from the government, which would probably be nothing by the time we get there, so be it. But I know God will take care of us. Because he always has. So what's the point of all of this this morning? You have the potential in you to change this world for eternity. You have the potential in you to invest in something that after our bodies have long gone, people are still going to be affected by what you do. Whether you do that or not is your choice. And it's not going to affect whether you get into heaven or not. It's not going to affect even whether God loves you or not. It really isn't. He's not going to love you any more if you give all your money away. And he won't love you any less if you don't give anything away. He won't love you any more if you go out and you do everything for everybody. Or any less if you don't. But there is an invitation for us to enter into something with God and to take on that character that he has of generosity and let it flow through us into the world all around us. And when you do that, and I tell you this from personal experience, and I tell you it's promised faithfully in Scripture, when you do that, you live a life at a level that is way beyond that you've experienced up to then. And there is no place in your life when you live a generous life for lack. 
because God powers into generosity so that generosity can continue. What he doesn't power into is dead pools where it just stops. Is that fair enough? I want to finish because I want us to have communion and then hopefully still have time for it in a minute for um, a little bit of uh, questions and answers. Okay, that wasn't good. Yeah, please. I still think the most generous gift I ever received was salvation. The most generous gift I ever got from God was the fact that Jesus came and he died on the cross so I didn't have to. The most generous gift I ever got was a promise that when I leave this world, I'm going to a better place. Not a hope, not a thinking, an actual promise, cast iron promise that I have a place in heaven. And that that's available for every one of us. And all we need to do is just go, Jesus, I want it. Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him can have everlasting life. That everlasting life starts now, not just when we're dead, but it starts now. You're going to get a little cup of juice and a little bit of bread. I'm going to ask you to hold on to it for a minute. I'm going to read the scripture, I'm going to pray, and then we'll take it all together if that's okay. And we're doing this, there's nothing magic in this bread. It's Ribena and a bread roll I had left from yesterday. Like it does, I didn't even go fresh and buy it for you. It's good for you, it's good. The fresh stuff is bad for your belly. Yeah. So here's the bit. What this is, is a remembrance of what Jesus did. That's all. It's like us having an alarm on our phone to remind us that it's time to get up or time for someone's birthday. We do this and we share this bread and this cup to remember the generosity of God in Jesus' coming. When we didn't even, we weren't even born, so we couldn't have known we needed him. But long before we ever realized we needed him, he came and poured out the greatest generosity onto this planet and into our lives. And in 1 Corinthians it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had gave thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You all done? Ran out. Maybe I can share if we haven't got enough cups, sorry. Um, let me pray, and then I'm going to ask you to take the cups and the, and the bread. Father, I thank you that when we didn't know about you, when we weren't even born, that you poured your generosity into this planet you poured yourself into this planet in the shape of your son, Jesus Christ. That you came and you took on flesh and you became our substitute so that we could have a life of blessing, that we could have a life of freedom, that we could have a life of love and generosity, that we could be your children. So Lord, as we eat this bread and as we drink this cup, I pray that we would remember the price that you paid and the generous heart that you have towards us. I pray that your love would flow into us and flow out of us, into everyone around us. Lord, I pray that the words that I've even spoken around generosity, Lord, of you, 
would sink into our hearts and stay there and form us into being who you want us to be. And the stuff that was just me, and doesn't matter, just let it fall to the ground and be forgotten, Lord. But your word lives forever. And I truly believe that one of your greatest characteristics is generosity. And that we are called to, to be your representatives on this planet. And that means we are called to be generous. So I pray as this week goes on that you would help people in this room to figure out ways to be generous. Lord, with their family, with maybe having a bit more patience with family or, or extending an olive leaf in a, in, a, in a place where there's hassle. Lord, maybe in work, maybe in, in their neighborhood, whatever, but that they could be learning to be generous with our time, learning to be generous with our love, learning to be generous with our cash, learning to be generous, Lord, with our commitments to you and to others in this world. And I ask it in Jesus' name. You can take the bread, take the cup. Amen. Um, we don't have an awful lot of time, but we do have a few minutes if there's any questions. So, As I swing up here, wait and see if anyone's going to say it. I shouldn't have asked that when you're eating your bread, should I? Shouldn't you? That's supposed to have a mouthful. None? Clear as mud, everyone happy out? Okay. Praise the Lord. Huh? Now, Sergei's not asking it and he doesn't want to know it. He's happy today. Okay. Can I suggest we finish with a song? You don't normally do this, but I just have a anchor in my head. Can you come back up, Lewis? Yeah? I know you weren't expecting this. Oh, shit. I just want to sing that Our Father again. Um. And then you can go rescue the kids. Something very powerful in the Word of God. And when we, um, when we say those words, what we're saying is not some fancy stuff that we wrote or some nice song that we thought of or we came up with. But we're singing back to God the actual words that he gave us. And this is taken obviously from the Lord's Prayer that he wrote himself or taught the, the guys to, to say. So um, let's sing this. We go through it once and then uh, and we break and have tea and coffee. Is that okay? Father, um, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity of being here. I just pray as everyone leaves and goes that you would be with them and bless them. Whatever's going on in their life, Lord. Pray this week would be one of the best they've ever had. Just declare that in, in this place, that yours is the kingdom, that yours is the power, and the glory all belongs to you. Lord, bless your people, I pray. May your face shine on them. May your face shine on them, Lord. Would you grant them peace in their day? Then everywhere they go this week, would you just grant them your peace, your presence, and your great love wash over them? And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, folks.